this Advent, we're looking at various passages from the book of Isaiah, these little glimmers of hope, little uh, windows into the kind of kingdom that God sent his son to establish here on earth and will one day complete. Last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 2, and this week we'll be turning to another familiar passage to many, I think, and that's Isaiah chapter 11. Hear now God's word for you this morning. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw with the ox like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Dear friends of Jesus Christ, when, my, when I was little, just a, an infant, my mother made uh, me a stuff-and-stitch style um, picture of Isaiah 11, the passage we just read, and I brought it here with me today, and I thought, we can take the CRC sign down today and... Uh, Put this in its place. To tell me if I've got it nice and even there. Good enough? This way, this way? Okay. So, okay, 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 good. You, some, some of you will be really bothered if that's on an angle of the whole service, right? Somehow this delicate picture of peace survived all the ups and downs of Salberta family life. Um, Although uh, my mom, after she completed this, she, she swore she would knew, never do anything like this ever again. This was her first and last piece of, of art. While the picture itself is a little tacky, um, it does have nostalgic value and spiritual significance. I'm sure my mom prayed for my sister and I as she put this thing together. I'm sure it was her deep desire that we would grow up to inherit a world that was as secure and peaceful as the one portrayed in this picture. 
I want and pray that for my kids too. So a few years ago, we had this, this, uh, this piece framed, and now it hangs in, in my kid's bedroom. Now, a few years ago, I went into our children's room to find this picture of peace, and you can put the picture up now, um, riddled with Nerf bullets. Let's see if we can see it here. Uh Uh-oh. There it is. Um, Apparently, one of my sons was practicing his aim. So I see he got uh, the lion right in the heart and the sheep right in the head. Pow, pow. Bang, bang. Shoot, shoot. When I saw this, I immediately thought of this passage and uh, came up with a different rendition of it. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will shoot them all with his Nerf gun. I love this picture and I love that picture. I think that one is just hilarious. And I also think it makes a fairly apt point. The point being that the peace described in Isaiah 11 is not going to come from below. John Lennon imagined a day when all the world's people would live peacefully, and sadly no government or generation, no movement of the human spirit has been able to accomplish that dream. My children's generation won't be able to accomplish it either, nor will my children's children. All of us, in a way, are natural-born fighters, descendants of Cain. In order for this picture to become reality, the wolf dwelling with the lamb, we need someone from above. We need the spirit-filled prince of peace. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, writes Isaiah. And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. As I mentioned last week, Isaiah's ministry took place during Israel's decline as a nation. Bad kings had led Israel astray for a long time. The sons of King David, the ones who took the throne after him, were instructed to keep the law of the Lord at their side at all times. They were to consider themselves below the law, not above the law. But that's not the way they acted. Infighting led to the breakup of the kingdom into north and south. And by the time we get to the days of Isaiah and the rule of King Uzziah, things are not looking good. The northern kingdom has already fallen to Assyria, and the southern kingdom is next. It's into this context that God calls Isaiah and calls him to preach the word of the Lord. He essentially sets Isaiah aside to be the bearer of bad news. Isaiah asks the Lord, how long must I preach this judgment? And God's answer is this, until the cities lie in ruin, until the Lord has sent everyone away and the land is utterly forsaken. In other words, Isaiah was to preach the forest of God's people down to a stump. Talk about a tough call as a preacher. And yet, sprinkled throughout the gloom of God's judgment, we find these little glimmers of hope, these bright, shining glimmers of hope, unbelievable hope. A shoot will come up 
from the stump of Jesse, and from his root a branch will bear fruit. This image is striking and deserves unpacking. Recall that before King David was anointed to be king, he was a shepherd boy, the youngest son, and the youngest and least impressive son of a man named Jesse. Through Samuel, God chose David and anointed him to be Israel's king. And under David's godly leadership, Israel went from being a little sapling to a mighty oak. David conquered Jerusalem and he secured the boundaries of Israel. He retrieved the Ark of the Covenant and he restored right worship in the land. David wanted to make a house for the Lord too, a, a temple. But, God in, but the Lord instead turned things around and promised David that he was going to make a house for him. So God made a covenant with David. He promised David that one from his line would inherit the throne. And he promised David that his kingdom and house would be an everlasting kingdom and house. It's this promise spoken long ago uh, to David that Isaiah is calling forth in chapter 11. If there's any hope for God's people, it's in the Lord who will keep his promises. A shoot will rise up from the stump of Jesse, and from his root a branch will bear fruit. The new shoot that Isaiah is talking about here is a new king a son of David that will be anointed, set apart, to rule. And what's special about this new king, says Isaiah, is that the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and power. In other words, this new king won't be like the old kings. They, he won't be tossed to and fro by the corruption of the flesh or the spirits of the age. Rather, he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and will be endowed with power from above. I find it so striking to compare this picture to the one uh, that we're given in the New Testament uh, with what is spoken about Jesus in the early stages of his life and ministry. Notice what the angels say about Jesus when they announce his birth. Gabriel tells Mary that her son will sit on David's throne and that his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. The angels tell the shepherds that a savior has been born to them and that he is the Christ, Christ being a Greek word that means the anointed one, the one set aside, the one anointed by the Spirit. And then on the day of Jesus' baptism, what happens? The Spirit of the Lord comes down and rests upon him. This is inauguration day for the shoot that rises up out of the stump of Jesse. Right away, Jesus is driven into the wilderness. This was his test. Would he delight in the fear of the Lord, or would he fall prey to the evil one's temptations, like all the other kings? The devil led Jesus to a high hill and promised him all the kingdoms of the world. All this can be yours, he promised, if you just bow and worship me. But Jesus, who had the, the word of the Lord at his side and considered himself under it like a true king, resisted. And he said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his root a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. 
In addition to being rooted in God and spirit-filled, the new king will also be given capacity to render justice. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge. This is the rule of law such that we can hardly imagine. Our justice system is plagued with all kinds of problems, Judges and juries are only human and can only make decisions by what they hear with their ears and see with their eyes. They can't see down into the human heart. And lawyers are good at spinning the truth to their clients' advantage. Too much much injustice goes unpunished. And it can be so confusing. It can be so confusing. And you can understand why this happens. But I, I even think of the recent... We scandal here in Canada. How do you get down to the bottom of a case like that? Who is telling the truth? Who is lying? How much of this is spin and reputation management? Sometimes we wonder, will justice ever be totally rendered in a case like this or in thousands others like it where we just can't seem to get to the bottom of what has taken place. And we think if only someone had eyes to see through the facade and ears that could hear through the noise, imagine if there was a judge that would not take bribes but would render justice perfectly without partiality, someone who sees the heart. Well, this, according to Isaiah, is what the Spirit-filled son of David will be uh, capable of. This is what he will do. He will rule uh, and render justice perfectly. And two actions in particular will be at the center of his rule of law. First, with justice, he will give decisions for the poor. And second, with his breath, he will slay the wicked. In other words, with the arrival of the anointed king, the weak will have a powerful advocate and the wicked will have a formidable foe. In the world as it is, it's the wealthy and the powerful that can afford the best lawyers and accountants, and too often people get away with murder, but not so in the world governed by David's son. He will protect the weak. He will strike down the wicked. I want to pause again and move our eyes from this picture in Isaiah to the New Testament to look how, how Jesus lived into this role. He saw deeply into people, didn't he? He saw the heart. I mean, I I just was reflecting on the three characters we looked at in the fall. Zacchaeus, the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, and the rich young ruler. Jesus knew them before they even had a chance to share their story. He saw deep into their heart. And he spoke the truth that they needed to hear. Jesus defended the weak, too. I think of the woman caught in adultery. In adultery, He stepped in to stop the stoning. I think, too, of the time that Jesus was touched by a woman who, was, who had been bleeding for 12 years. Though he was surrounded by important people, he stopped to restore and to heal. But at the same time, Jesus was no pushover. He judged the Pharisees harshly, With his words, 
he judged them for their misuse of their spiritual authority. And when he entered his father's house of prayer, the temple, and found that it had been taken over by opportunist merchants, he overthrew the tables and drove the corrupt out with a whip. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes but or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with justice he will give decisions for the poor. He will slay the wicked with the breath of his lips. And the result of the king's rule and application of justice, says Isaiah, the result will be security and peace. The lion will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. Such a striking picture of safety and security. So safe will the world be, says Isaiah, under the king's watch, that the infant, the weakest of the weak, will be able to play freely near the hole of the cobra, one of the most deadliest and violent of animals. She'll be able to stick her hand into the viper's nest without fear of being harmed. Now, most Bible scholars believe that Isaiah is not painting a literal picture for us here. It's not as though the world would become like a giant petting zoo where the king, when the king's rule begins. Rather, this is a portrait meant to stir our imaginations. It points us to a world and a reality that we can hardly imagine. When the, king's, when the king rules, the, the lion will share a house with the lamb, and the leopard will keep the sheep warm at night. The calf and the lion and the yearling will play together like kids, and a little child will lead them. All the world will be safe and secure like this. This is a picture that may, makes us think of what the world will be like when the promised son of David takes the throne. When we fast forward to the New Testament here, it's not as though Jesus brings this kingdom forcefully and right away. It's more of an unfolding story, isn't it? And this is what made the disciples upset with Jesus. Um, they wanted, they wanted uh, the violence in their world to end. They wanted the Romans to be kicked out. They wanted Herod to be held to account for his injustice. And so they thought that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one, and that he was going to inaugurate this rule and this peace. But Jesus, who feared the Lord and not people, know that his, knew that his first act as king was not to dish out justice. If so, who could stand before him who sees the heart? None of us is righteous, not one. So in his first coming, Jesus laid the foundations for the peaceable kingdom by laying down his life. If we are to dwell with God on God's holy mountain, then peace needs to be restored in our relationship with God. Forgiveness needs to be offered. Adam and Eve were cast out of God's presence, and an angel with a sword restricted their access to God's presence. But Jesus died to tear down the dividing walls that separate us. At the hour of his crucifixion, the curtain in the temple 
split from top to bottom, signifying that the way was open for us to be in right relationship with God the Father again. This is why Paul calls Jesus our peace. And through his blood, we have peace with God. And we also have peace with one another. In Jesus' day, a Jewish person would not be caught dead breaking bread with a Greek person or any other Gentile. It would be like a bear and a calf trying to eat out of the same feeding trough. But in the new peaceable community that Jesus was forming around him, Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, they all came together around one table and shared the common loaf. The Jew will dwell with the Gentile. The The women and the men will be one in Christ. The slave and the free, the rich and the poor, all one to one body together. And the baby born in Bethlehem will lead them. Of course, we know that the anointed king's peaceful kingdom is not yet com- complete, but it has begun. The church is the first fruits of the peaceable kingdom that is to come. The trouble is we still live in this the world as it is, the world uh, riddled with Nerf bullets and ones much more violent than that. All of creation groans and we groan with it. I've been reading the CRCNA's Human Sexuality Report with a a handful of people in our congregation. And uh, one of the things we've been reading about is um, we've been learning about pornography its prevalence, and its impact. And one of the most disturbing trends in pornography these days is that it's getting more and more violent by the year. Rape scenes are now common in mainstream pornography. Hitting, choking, hurting, abuse, too too despicable to name. It's all just a few clicks away for young and old to discover. Clearly, we cannot let our daughters and sons play too close to the viper's nest. It is not a safe world. This past week, another shooting took place in a high school in the United States. I don't even read these stories anymore. It is basically a quarterly experience or a quarterly event. Lord have mercy. Despite our progress, our enlightened, you know, despite our being an enlightened people, the 20th century was the bloodiest century in human history. We're getting so much better at killing one another. Hundreds of millions of real people, real people, brutalized, blown to bits, killed in gas chambers and left in mass graves. This is what the human spirit has wrought. We need the spirit of God. We need the spirit-filled prince of peace. A new king. Someone to take the Nerf guns out of our hands and lead us down the path of peace. And the good news that the church proclaims and holds on to during Advent is that this king has come and that he's coming again. And when he returns, people will neither harm nor destroy on all God's holy mountain, for the earth will be covered with the knowledge of the Lord's ways as the water covers the sea. 
That day is not today, but that day is coming. And in the meantime, as we wait, together let's do our best to turn our attention away from violence and evil and the things that break down God's good creation and rededicate ourselves to follow after our Prince of Peace. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for the picture, the picture that you give of the world you are creating through the rule of your Son. And we're here, Lord, a part of this new peaceable community, and yet we confess that peace in the church is sometimes hard to find, too. We need your Spirit, Lord to fall upon us and to show us the path of peace. And our world certainly needs it. There's so much hurt, anger, war, violence. For the victims, Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on them today. We pray, too, that you would bring justice for those who work um, this injustice into the world. And once again, we ask for your forgiveness for the ways that we have participated in that. Thank you for the peace that passes understanding, Lord, the torn curtain for knowing ourselves to be in this rock-solid relationship with you without the need for fear. We give thanks for that. We pray that more and more would come into that life-giving, peaceful relationship with you. And we look forward and hope, Lord, for the day you will return to judge the living and the dead and to complete this picture here on earth. All this we pray in your Son's name. Amen.